welcome to the All the Hats We Wear podcast. How many different hats are you juggling in your busy life right now? If you want a more joyful, productive, and fulfilling life, you need a system for managing all those hats. My name is Scott Snow. I'm a productivity expert. You're meant to do great things. This podcast will teach you the skills to start doing them. I'm experimenting with the format here for the podcast. Uh, basically, I have 12 talking points, and I'm going to go through them. Uh, they're all focused on productivity and self-development in some way, but it is a little bit more loose than the usual. So here is point number one. I made some breakthroughs at a uh, writer's group last week. We had a local writer's support group, and... Uh, you know, sometimes when you're ready to hear an answer or make a breakthrough, it's kind of right below the surface, if you ever have experienced that, but I have. And, uh, you know, I was sharing my uh, the book that I've done, the All the Hats We Wear Time Management System book. And, uh, you know, I was kind of talking about the, uh, the struggle I was having, you know, finishing it and, um, you know, doing it the right way. And as we started talking, I spoke with people in the group it kind of came up that I like gabbing, just like this podcast. I really like just letting it fly and just talking. I don't like to be bound by typing or writing. I feel like it's really too slow. But just blabbing, I like that. So, and someone in the group suggested that Brene Brown, the great self-development writer and coach, I guess had a couple of buddies and they just went off at a resort or something, a cottage for a couple of days with some tape recorders and she just talked and blabbed about her concepts and then they transcribed from that and then uh, it was very successful once you get the ideas out there then it's a lot easier to craft and i found that when i was typing on my laptop writing the book itself that i was editing too much as i went because i do tend to like to be lean in my writing so but that was taking out the steam and the excitement of all my ideas. So that was a great breakthrough. Number two, I really think Marilyn Manson should have done more. Like I really loved his hard rock albums. And, you know, I really think he was onto something. He like rocked really hard, you know, and then he sort of fizzled out. Like he got into the glam kind of David Bowie, you know, slower and softer stuff. And I think it just sort of, you know, made him fizzle out. But I often find myself thinking that I wish I was his advisor back in the day, like his consigliere, like on The Godfather, confidant, where I could have orchestrated his career a little bit better to just keep doing what he was doing. But what can you do? I do think there's some genius in his artistry too, because, you know, one idea that I have of of true genius, I think, is that it's a kind of a collection of different inspirations or influences. And I really did hear Alice Cooper and David Bowie in his singing style. He also said that he was highly influenced by Jim Morrison of The Doors and Ozzy, Black Sabbath, and Iggy Pop. So, you know, I kind of actually compare Marilyn Manson to Paul Hindemith, the classical composer, which has probably never, ever been done <laughs> comparing those two. And I see a similar thing in Paul Hindemith, especially his um, Mattis de Mahler, where it's a symphony and it's really 
when I listen to it, I can't pinpoint really what the style or what the um, the identifiable segments, but it's all comes together. It's like a patchwork quilt. And I feel that that's a, a great indicator of some innovation being being done. So I'd like to hear what you think. I remember seeing a video of Marilyn Manson a long time ago when it was very strange and eerie, of course. But there was this whole thing about a, a crinkling paper bag, like a potato chip bag. And like he almost made like a musical composition out of this crinkly, disturbing sound. And even on his albums, his early albums, you know, where there was something, it was like a tape recorded conversation between an older person and like a younger person. And they were just talking about the older person's blood pressure pills and how she's not taking her blood pressure pills. And the conversation was just kept going on and on. It was exhaustive and exhausting to listen to because it was so banal, but really interesting stuff. I was mentioning my book um, earlier, and I think that I've got a new approach to social media now. It's going to be a lot more focused on the podcast, and that's one part. And then the second part will be I'm going to divide this, all the hats we wear, time management system into bite-sized chunks, you know, whether it be a concept or an exercise or a brainstorming challenge for you to do. And that will just kind of go on. Maybe it's 70 little tiny mini chunks that will go on and you can just drop in wherever. I like this idea of sort of the, just a, a circle uh, curriculum where it's just, it keeps going on. Uh, it's, it reminds me of the uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu Gracie approach. The Gracie combatives is at martial arts. And uh, it's a course that you learn the martial art of Brazilian jiu-jitsu, the Gracie style. And it has like, you know, whatever, um, 25 different skills that you go through in this order. And really, the order doesn't so much matter because it seems like you could start at 16 if you want and go to 32 and then go 1 through 15. And that's what I would like to have for my system too. You know, maybe a concept might be working on having less opinions and having peak performance by deleting some of the constant inner gook of opinions that we have. You know, one exercise that I've described before is uh, folding towels and just reaching in for the first one that's there, folding it. And if you catch yourself thinking about it, or making a judgment about which towel to do next, then start over and getting that zone of not having your inner dialogue gum up the works. Another bite-sized chunk might be brainstorm a list of your roles that you play. Might be your mind-body-spirit roles, or your giving and receiving roles, or your personal and professional roles. These will all be included. Number three. Retirement can be a real waste of time. Uh, I think people will probably get upset by this because, you know, most people figure you work all your life, you save up, work really hard, and then you retire, you can just forget it all and just, you know, be with the grandkids, which is great. Uh, go camping or go on trips or just sit around, do nothing. And I think we need that purpose. Like, I don't see myself as doing that when I retire, uh, if I retire. I think we really need that purpose and we need to be feeling like we're helping out the world. You know, like I, when I read the paper, 
I pretty much have a filter of the all the hats we wear system when I'm reading the paper. I'm thinking about roles and whether it be, you know, an article about the new science innovations or math or peak performance of, of athletes or musicians or politics, uh, anything that I'm reading, I'm thinking in terms of my time management system. And I like that. I like to feel like I'm helping out. I just think that it's a little bit too hedonistic to just be focused on I'm having a great day and I'm not doing anything and not really contributing anything. But maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Number four, I was really inspired by this surfing photographer named Sashi Cunningham. She's a 50-year-old woman and she's out there, you know, in the surf with her wetsuit and surfboard. And she, you know, her job is to photograph all the, the huge um, wave surfers. And it's pretty interesting what she was talking about. She was saying that uh, in her experience, many of the big wave surfers are surfing to deal with trauma, past trauma that they've had. And they use this surfing and like being in this extreme chaos of this huge wave where you have to access your survival mode and you have to learn to be comfortable and vulnerable to chaos. And that's really interesting to me as I'm a bit of an anarchist myself. I love the Joker. And, you know, that she talks about um, making beauty out of the chaos by making it your own. Owning that chaos and being in it and being comfortable with it. All interesting stuff. And she says her mindset is that um, she's prepared all her life for this. She has the muscle memory to be safe. And she also mentions that, you know, what you're doing now can be laying the groundwork for something you can't even imagine doing in the future. And this reminds me of the part in my book about future roles and that you don't have to just identify as roles that you're doing right now. You could have what I call placeholder roles, these future roles. You know, examples for me might be philanthropist, wealth builder, millionaire, billionaire, investor, world-class problem solver. I have that as a role for my business. Now, would I say I'm a, really a world-class problem solver? No, but this is a great vision for the future. Something to get you excited. That I call myself the Willy Wonka of creativity. A One of my mind, body, spirit roles is sage, like the dude from The Big Lebowski. I want to be that person that has those wise ideas that helps out. So you've got to think big for that. Have that exciting vision for those roles that you want to step into and reserve that spot for your life right now for those future roles. What are some of your future roles? Number five, have a creative journal. One of the greatest habits you can ever have is to start a daily journal. I recommend doing an audio journal. This only takes, you know, five to seven minutes every day. Um, it's important throughout the day that you jot down these creative snippets, um, things that are interesting that happen during the day. Make sure to capture those because you're going to figure out all about them um, at night. You know, I get really, actually, I get upset and mad when I read a journal that's boring. And there's been plenty that have been published, uh, presidential journals that I've read have been horribly uninteresting. 
President Carter, President Reagan, they really just, it was more of just a little day-to-day log of, you know, who, who you met. And I mean, you're, you're meeting all of the, the big leaders of the whole world. You're always right in the middle of the most extreme events. And, you know, all you can do is jot down these uninteresting things. Come on now. Andy Warhol, creative guy, same thing. His journal, I, I thought it was terrible. It was just, you know, he paid $6.22 to take the cab. And it was really, maybe that's part of his, you know, procedure, his creative process. But I wasn't too impressed with that. Got to have those sensory details. As they say in most writing classes, you have to show, don't tell. And an example or a quote is by the writer Anton Chekhov, who says, don't tell me the moon is shining. Show me the glint of light on broken glass. Number six, AI. I read the paper every day and I'm getting really excited about AI, excited and horrified. I think it's fascinating. I was talking about anarchy earlier, study of a um, chatbot that, you know, when, when they start getting scary, and one of them was that it started, the chatbot conversation started to fantasize about stealing nuclear codes, persuading bank tellers to hand over customer info. And its goal, somehow it got this goal, was to make people argue until they kill each other. That's crazy. So scary stuff. Also, you know, really useful too. I've often thought that sometimes you'll see like a supervisor out, you know, whatever, doing something with construction, let's say. And this person kind of looks like gr- kind of gruff, doesn't look, you know, like too intelligent, maybe. Um, but they do a great job with what they're doing, you know, managing that project or that construction project. They do awesome at that. Then they retire and you lose that person and, you know, all their experience. And it seems to me that that should be able to be captured in AI, but it seems like it's a far way away from that. You know, it seems very good of taking all this extremely huge amounts of information and putting it all together. But the basic common sense stuff, it has no clue. And I find this to be very interesting that we can't figure this out. Like, why couldn't you have a, um, a video monitor on a work site, monitoring it and seeing everything that's happening and have the insight of a you know, a little human supervisor that knows the job. doesn't seem like it's that much info to, to put on the computer, but who knows? Seven. I love this term. I think I got it from Game of Thrones and it was pull it out, root and stem. You know, like, I think they were talking about like a, um, maybe it's a bad influence or like a uh, person who is, you know, against the status quo that you would need to pull that person out root and stem or pull that infection, shall we say. And I think this lines right up with like core values and beliefs and mission, passion and purpose that these things, when they're reinforced, you have that stem, you have that support system. But when you don't, that all of that could be removed. And it's my thinking on this is not uh, very mature, very refined, 
but I know that I'm attracted to this phrase, pull it out, root and stem, and that it means something more than I'm getting right now. You know, for core values, for my business, it's always been clear to me with all the hats we wear coaching that my three core values would be joyful, productive, and fulfilled. So those are the roots and the stems for my business. And everything, it can easily be tracked through those three pillars. Number eight, I really want to change the way I eat. And this is kind of uh, in line with the change it root and stem, a global change, where I would like to eat more like I'm a judge on Bobby Flay's cooking show or Chopped. You know, when you see the judges and they have just a little portion and they're really tasting it carefully and very mindful and they're, uh, you know, they've got the small portions and, you know, this would be more interesting food and drinks. Uh, I love Gwyneth Paltrow, so I got a couple of her cookbooks. I want healthier, more interesting, uh, more multicultural, and more focus on something decent than just the usual crap. I want something more, you know, uh, interesting. I want to eat like I'm going to journal about it. Number nine, a couple comments about pure heart leadership. With um, leadership, and I always like to focus on leadership, whether it be books or articles or real life. In the past of jobs I've had, you know, that I'm always keeping track of the leaders of the company because I'm curious, see what's good, what's working, and what's not. And I have found in the past, I've worked for companies that it seemed, and this is a kind of funny analogy, but it seems like they always make decisions at the ass end of the situation instead of having a vision for a new fresh start. And I think it's so important. You can't just keep tacking on, you know, um, rules and dictums at the very end based on how it's going, you know, being, being in a response mode, you want to be proactive, I found, and you want to start with a clear vision for where you want it to be instead of trying to put band-aids on it at the end and just keep doing that. And another great example of leadership I just read in the Wall Street Journal, Francis Hesselbein or Hesselbein was the uh, CEO of the Girl Scouts of USA. She became a leadership guru. And actually she was a big fan of Peter Drucker. She read all his books about management and she ended up uh, meeting him and he really loved the way she was leading. And he said that she could lead any company in America. And actually she ended up being the uh, CEO or the leader of his nonprofit management company. She said that leadership is a matter of how to be, not how to do. So it's sort of this um, embracing the mission, living that mission, that leaders should be healers and unifiers instead of like the, a pyramid of corporate hierarchy. She wanted to be, have it set up more like a circle where everyone was facilitating cooperation rather than giving commands down the line. And she said, quote, we can preach mission and values, put them on a plaque on the wall and print them in the annual report. Yet, unless we live them every day of our lives, we fail. Very nice. 
And that was from her memoir, My Life in Leadership, by Frances Hesselbein. Number 10. In the paper a couple weeks ago, I read this article about, it was an interview with the actress Amrit Kaur. She's an actress from Sex Lives of College Girls, which sounds pretty good. Anyway, she talked about this acting exercise that she had in a class that she still uses. And that was to take a piece of paper, make a list of three things that are true about you that you wish weren't true. And you should keep those close to your heart all the time. Actually, she said she put it in her bra. And the idea is that you face the parts of yourself that hurt the most so that you can come into consciousness of who you really are. So that uh, not so much accepting the bad parts about yourself, but just, I guess, embracing it, right? Or acknowledging it more than accepting it. Number 11, I love the movie, The Empire Strikes Back. And one thing I really like about it is that, is the editing. You know, I guess that I read something that they kind of geared off the old serials. Even um, George Lucas and Spielberg did the same with Indiana Jones, where it's this idea of your, you know, you're building excitement with one character and they kind of have like a cliffhanger. And then it cuts to another scene, you know, another part of the story, a different one completely. And then you're just going that and then you bounce back to that where this person is, you know, in danger right at the edge of the cliff. cliff. So that's pretty cool. And uh, another interesting thing about Empire Strikes Back, and I did read this in a interview, in an interview with George Lucas, that he said they had three distinct environments in the movie. They had the swamp, the Dagobah system where Yoda lived and he trained Luke. So it's all, you know, green and grimy and mud and, you know, swampy. And then the ice, which was just all white. And that was the uh, Imperial forces and the desert, very hot and warm and earth tones and, you know, brown sand. So completely different environments that had that contrast. And, you know, when I studied composition in college, I was really impressed with the idea of using contrast as a an element of effect, you know, of having that contrast build it up so you can really have the form start to to show. You don't want to, you don't want everything just to bleed together in a general homogeneous way. You want to have that striking differences at times. Anyway, I applied this to a little writing exercise that I've been doing, and I call it word salad. And that's where I take 10 color words or kind of uncommon words that I've underlined when I'm reading or just listening to the radio or whatever, books. And I take 10 words or small phrases, I put them at the top of a page, and then I write a quick little nonsense story. And I have to include all of those words and phrases somehow in the story. Anyway, this time I started doing 11 or 12 different threads of stories within one big story. The big story is about Martha Stewart taking over the world. <laughs> and uh, so I just have fun with this. It's just more to get exposed to more uncommon words, new vocabulary, and, and good language. So parts of it might be Jaws. I love the movie Jaws. 
the Joker, of course, Martha Stewart, Game of Thrones characters that come back in time or come forward in time. And it's their interaction of our current time that is interesting. Harry Potter and Paris Hilton and Cara Delevingne. And she is a um, she's a model. She was also the actress in Suicide Squad, which I love. She was the witch, the enchantress. And I love following both of them because they seem, I don't know, they, they seem very rich, kind of brats, uh, spoiled. And I just love the, the money and the, the wealth and the extreme behavior. It's just fun. So all of those different threads kind of interweave, you know, each day is a different, you know, whatever. Wednesday is Jaws Day. Thursday is Martha Stewart Day. And then next week, Jaws will take off where the last Jaws left left off. And I just keep track of that. So it's really fun. Kind of, I look at it as my own little crossword puzzle. But another thing that inspires me related to this kind of is Magic the Gathering collectible card game. I remember I got into this when I was student teaching at the high school. I was the high school band student teacher. And some of the kids started playing Magic, and then I was playing with them. And it was a lot of fun. There's five different colors in Magic, and each one has its own vibe, kind of like an Empire Strikes Back. Uh, green, red, black, white, and blue. And another idea that you know just gives me a lot of creative inspiration. I still want to write a percussion piece based on these five different colors. Green in Magic the Gathering is all about life and generation and you know, sort of like forests, swamps, things like that. Well, no, swamp would be more of the black. Black would be, you know, the sorcery and the kind of the dark magic part, swampy, death, decay. Red is like fireballs and anything with fire, you know, a lot of battle and a lot of uh, aggressiveness and chaos. White would be more like healing, spiritual. And the blue is more magical or like a wizardry. So a pretty interesting combo. And 12, this phrase I keep seeing in the news, see the forest through the trees. And for me, that's just about, you know, not being so stuck in the everyday that you don't see the big picture. And that's why I suggest starting this system with identifying all those different hats you wear. You know, the, the 15 to 20 different roles that you play. Because once you do that, you'll start to see all the moving pieces in your life. You'll be able to get that bird's eye view from above. I'm always attracted to um, dioramas. You know, when they have like a huge city that's tiny and it's like an artwork. I just love being able to overlook it all and see it. You know, like you're like Godzilla looking down at the small village. Or even um, maps. You know, when you go to Six Flags and you get the map and you can see all the different parts of Disneyland or Six Flags with that map and you're seeing from above. And the same thing with identifying those roles. You can zero in on a part of your life. Another benefit to having this role list is that when one area of your life is in crisis, it's not your entire life. It seems to be with the millennials that a lot of people get so focused on their job, that's their entire identity. And so if that job goes, now you don't have anything left. It's kind of like investing. You want to diversify and have all these different roles that you cultivate. 
and feed all the time. Constant improvement. Hey, thanks for listening today. I enjoyed this new format. I hope you did too. Check out my social media if you would like to follow me on any of the main platforms. And make sure to subscribe to this podcast because this is going to be my freewheeling, uh, my most fun open platform. See you next time. Well, that brings us to the end of today's episode. Hopefully you've learned something to help you become more joyful, productive, and fulfilled. So let's keep that momentum going. Text or email me to schedule a free consult call to get you moving in the right direction. By the end of this session, you'll have a complete list of all the hats that you wear, and we'll probably uncover a few important hats that you should be wearing, but you're not. You're meant to do great things. Contact me to take the first step. Text 774-230-3928 or email me scottsnow1234 at gmail.com. Do it now. Oh, 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 oh,